Each of us has a purpose. We are destined to do something meaningful, not only to support our loved ones, but to positively impact our communities throughout the country. What do you think a private Christian education looks like? Grand Canyon University offers over 175 high-quality online programs across nine colleges. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, Episode 12 for Friday, April the 1st, 2016. This episode of the John Campia Podcast is sponsored by GeekFeed.com. Stuff your geek hole. Hey guys, and thanks for joining me on this episode of the John Campia Podcast. We're going to be talking about that Ben Affleck Batman standalone movie script that he's written. Suicide Squad goes back for reshoots. Is that good news? Is that bad news? Some people are freaking out. Ewan McGregor talks about Obi-Wan and a few things more. So sit back, relax. The John Campia Podcast starts right now. Well, hey there, guys, and thanks for joining me for this episode of the John Campia Podcast, ending off the week on this Friday. I'm so glad you decided to join me. And it is, of course, not just any Friday. It is Friday, April the 1st. That means, folks, don't take any headline you see today seriously. Like, none. Other than maybe on CNN or like some massive uh, world event news comes out or something like that. Don't take anything you see seriously. I cannot believe, look, this is since the advent of movie blogs, every April 1st, this is going on like 12, 13 years now. Every Every April 1st, movie sites put out these big fake news headlines to get yeah, because it's April Fool's. Everybody's just having fun. Nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying that there is. But everybody puts out these big, massive April Fool's Day pranks. And I cannot believe that still, after all these years, that people are still buying into them instantly. Like, I cannot begin to tell you how full my Twitter feed has been with people tweeting me stuff like, oh my gosh, John, did you see that Netflix is doing a Star Wars show? Because IGN cut together this uh, this footage to make it look like Netflix was doing a Star Wars show. Now, first of all, even if it wasn't April Fool's, you should have known that one was fake. And by the way, kudos to uh, Netflix. They look at, they made it look pretty good. They made it look pretty, or not Netflix, I mean IGN. They made that fake trailer look pretty good. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can probably just jump on YouTube and you can find Star Wars Netflix show IGN. So just search for that and you should be able to come across it. But it it should have been a dead giveaway. Even if it wasn't April 1st, it should have been a dead giveaway to everybody that this was fake when, oh, okay, wait a minute. Um, They are already in production of a Star Wars Netflix show and there's enough so that there's already a trailer out for it with a whole bunch of footage and we've never even heard about this. That should have been the first big red flag to everybody. I mean, you should have known. You should have known that it was fake right away just from that and then compounded the fact of course that it's uh april 1st and there's a few more going around today like margot robbie is to play the young cersei in uh in a game of thrones uh prequel movie 
And the other big one that's going around today that I had a lot of people tweet to me about believing is that Zack Snyder has signed on to do a Star Wars anthology movie. Just folks, don't take any movie headlines you see today seriously. All right. Because number one, it's April Fool's and everybody's jumping in on this. Number two, the studio PR people know it's April Fool's. So they're very, very, very unlikely to drop any big significant news today knowing that it's April Fool's Day and a lot of people are just going to ignore it anyway. If they, like, let's say, for instance, that Robert Downey Jr., in real, like in real life, like forget April Fool's, that Robert Downey Jr. had decided to uh, leave the Marvel Cinematic Universe and he was going to be the new Indiana Jones after Harrison Ford does Indiana Jones 5. Okay, let's, and let's say that was a real story. There's no way uh, Disney is going to put that press release out on April 1st because they know everybody will ignore it and not take it seriously. So I cannot believe all the April Fool stuff going around. So be very aware. But I will make you this promise today. Nothing I will say on this show today will be April Fool's jokes. Nothing I will say on this show today will be pulling your leg or anything like that. I mean, I might get something wrong, but if I get something wrong, it's because I got it wrong, not because I was trying to pull an April Fool's Day prank. So I promise you right off the top, this particular episode of a podcast will be a completely April Fool's Day joke, a zone free. Uh, Before I get to the news, a bunch of things going on. With me, as most of you know by now, of course, uh, I am partnering up with Lionsgate and Comic-Con for the new channel Comic-Con HQ, and I'm do- producing that in, in partnership with Complex Media. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. Complex Media is the company that owns Collider. And, you know, I was when I stepped down as the head of Collider Video, um, you know, I, I told the guys at Complex, hey, guys, I love working with you. I'd love to work with you again in the future. And it was after I had resigned, they said, how would you like to keep working with us right now? And, and so I'm, I'm doing this new show with Lionsgate and Comic-Con HQ with Complex Media. And uh, big steps, more announcements are coming. Uh, we're making progress on getting the show. And one of the big things is uh, we're actually casting. We're doing this big audition day on Monday where we have... Uh, a lot of people coming down to audition. I put out uh, a casting call for this one role that we have uh, on the show. And we had like well over 800 applicants. I can't remember what the final total was, like 828 or 820 or something like that. We had over 800 applications come in. And I got to tell you, I the one thing I really hate the most about my job, uh, going right back to the AMC days into the collider days. And now this, the one part I really, really, really hate the most is casting. I hate casting. I really do. Um, so number one, you're trudging through 800 different applications, which is just uh, painful in and of itself. I mean, Hey, first world problems There, there are guys out there who are going to be, and I used to work road construction. There are guys out there today digging ditches in 40 degrees Celsius heat for 16 hours. They have it hard. I do not have it hard. Okay. I'm just, it's first world problem complaining here. So don't think I'm not cognizant of that. I am, but I, I do, I hate it. I hate having to trudge through like 800 resumes and then trying to narrow that down to like 25 to 30 people that you're actually going to invite into interview and audition. And then you got to sit down and spend your entire day talking to these people that you don't know. Um, who are all there just trying to put on their best fake smile. Am I sounding cynical? Maybe? <laughs> Has LA made me cynical? Perhaps. This is me bitching. Um, 
but sit there and listen to these people that for the most part are just kind of coming in and, and trying to you know, sell their image or whatever to you. And it's a tedious, painful process. Now, look, that tedious, painful process that I'm sitting here and whining and crying about, what is the process that led me to Ashley Mova? And, and look how great she turned out. It's that same tedious, painful, awful process that led me to uh, Sinead DeFries. And look how awesome that worked out. That same tedious, long, awful process is what led me to led me to Natasha Martinez. And look how great that's turned out. I mean, so great things come out of it. I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying they don't. Great things come out. But it is a a painful, brutal, awful process. It was that same painful, brutal, awful process that got me, convinced me to bring Christian Harloff on and look how great that's turned out. It was that same pro- I mean, so I can't, I'm just whining and bitching and moaning because I don't like doing it, okay? There it is. I admit it. I don't have to read into it. But anyway, uh, I am excited that we're making progress in the new show. I'm excited that we're going to get this casting thing out of the way because that's got to be done on Monday. And then I have more casting to do after that. But that's going to be going on this week. Um, the other thing I've been doing this week, before we get into some uh, some of the new things here I want to talk about here, is, look, so Anne and I, this is going back a couple of years, all right? So when AMC, when this is back when I was still with AMC, when AMC uh, gave us that glorified storage closet at the AMC Burbank 16 to start our first actual office and studio, I hate LA traffic. Everybody who lives in LA hates commuting in LA. And if you visit LA, you'll see why. But Anne and I decided that we're going to get an apartment in Burbank within walking distance. And by being in Burbank, Anne was actually going to be really close to her job as well. So it was going to cut down our commute. I wouldn't have to commute at all. I'd be able to actually walk. So we got this really nice two-bedroom apartment in Burbank. And we thought, hey, this will be temporary. We're going to get this two-bedroom apartment in Burbank in this nice neighborhood. And I'm going to be able to walk to work. And that's great. And that's grand. And we like our apartment. It's it's nice. I actually like it quite a bit. But we always wanted to get a house out here. But here's the thing. You understand, I'm, I'm a Canadian kid coming from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And I understand the housing market has gone way up at, since then. But when I left Hamilton to come down to LA, man, if you could get $300,000 together, you you could get yourself a really nice house. You can get yourself, I mean, not a mansion or anything like that, but you can get yourself a nice house in in a nice neighborhood, in a nice part of town. I mean, you could get yourself a nice house. Um, And now, like I'm in Burbank and to get like a two bedroom, one bathroom house is like $800,000. And it's just, it's been depressing. Because so, for like over a year now, Anna and I have been trying to house hunt uh, for a place here, like right in Los Angeles, ideally either in or directly around Burbank. And holy crap, guys. Like you can find the odd falling apart shack for $550,000 for half a million dollars. But anything that's worth living in, like, look, minimum two bed, two bath. All right. Maybe a little backyard for the dogs. Nothing special. Nothing great. Doesn't have to be built in the last 20 years. It can be a house from 1935. That's fine. I don't care. But oh my God, guys, seriously. It's like, I can't find, I can't find anything around here. And then 
if I want to find something that's even remotely affordable, like say I was hoping to find something in the four hundred to six hundred thousand dollar range, but if I want to find something even close to that, we got to move far enough away that's probably going to be a forty five hour, hour and a half long commute for both of us just to get into work and back. I don't want to spend two hours of my day in a car going back. No, I look, look, I understand a lot of people do it and that's great. That's just something I choose not to do. I don't want to spend two, two and a half hours of my day in the car going back and forth to work, especially in LA traffic. It's a nightmare. So recently, I would thought, and then, and then, and then, all right, I'm not. I'm masculine enough and secure enough in my masculinity. I can tell you, I watch HGTV. Me and Anne watch HGTV. I like it. I like watching House Hunters and Fixer Upper and The Property Brothers. I, I'm because I'm really in. I've been focused so much on houses and property lately, and I love watching those shows. But it really pisses me off when because I'm sitting here like I can't even find a two bedroom, two bathroom house for like less than seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars, and. Meanwhile, I turn on this show on HGTV. There's this one show Ann and I really like to watch. It's called Fixer Upper. And it's this married couple who get uh, kind of broken down homes, buy them for really cheap for their clients, put some money in it to renovate it and turn it into this glorious, beautiful home. But it pisses me off when I can't find a two-bedroom, two-bathroom house for less than like seven or $800,000. And then Ann and I are watching on TV and these people, okay, this is a four-bedroom, three-bath, 2,400-square-foot house with a three-car garage on an acre of property, $110,000. And I get mad and I throw things at the TV and I swear. It's like, damn. Uh, anyway, but I live in LA, so that's that's the drawback of it. Anyway. Now that you've had your fill of HGTV talk and home improvement talk, um, look, the moral of that story is that Ann and I have decided that we're going to stay in our apartment for a while. We like our apartment. It's actually for the area. It's really it's really inexpensive. And we've decided instead of buying a house, we're going to keep living here and we're going to put some money into upgrading our apartment. And we've been buying new things and doing stuff and just having some fun. So that's been kind of cool. Anyway, with all of that out of the way, Let's get to some of this stuff. Um, it, a report came out in the Hollywood Reporter the other day, and this is neat for Batman versus Superman fans, of which I am one. Um, that Ben Affleck, who of course plays Batman now and has been long speculated to be uh, directing a standalone Batman film that has still not been announced, by the way, that Ben Affleck, through his representation, claimed that Ben Affleck has finished a standalone Batman script. Now, there are rumors and there were reports coming out of Comic-Con last year that Ben Affleck and Jeff Johns from DC Comics were going to work on developing a solo Batman movie together. Now, what has actually happened since that time, we have no idea. But Affleck's representation says Affleck has completed a standalone Batman script. Now, don't forget, a lot of people forget this. Ben Affleck is an Academy Award winning screenwriter. His first Academy Award was for writing... um, uh, the one he did with Matt Damon. Why am I drawing blank on the name of it? Anyway, you know the one I'm talking about. Uh, they, anyway, so he's an Academy Award winning screenwriter. So that's kind of exciting. Ben Affleck is also probably one of the best new directors in Hollywood right now. He is three for three in the films he has directed. And the last film he directed won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Uh, and won him the Directors Guild Award for Best Director of the Year and all that kind of stuff. He and you know so his three films. Um, uh, what were his three films again? There was Gone Baby Gone, there was Argo, and there's The Town. 
in my opinion, he's three for three. He's done three wonderful outings as a director, uh, of course, and of course has a best picture on his mantle now for for directing Argo. So, a lot of us have been speculating for a long time that Ben Affleck will, of course, direct a standalone Batman movie. I think we all want Ben Affleck to direct a standalone Batman movie, and we've said this before. But when you look at all the criticism that Batman v Superman is getting, even its harshest critics. Even Batman versus Superman's harshest critics, most of them agree one of the highlights of the movie is Ben Affleck's Batman. And a lot of people, even some people who do not like the movie, a lot of people are thinking this is the best Batman we've ever seen. Not necessarily the best movie with Batman we've ever seen, but as the character, this is the best Batman we've ever seen. I'm one of those guys. I think this is, I think Ben Affleck's Batman is the best Batman we've ever had on screen. Now, again, I'm not saying it's the best movie that's had Batman. I, I don't think Batman versus Superman, even though I am a defender of the movie and I like it very much, I don't think Batman versus Superman is better than The Dark Knight. Okay, I'm not saying that. The Dark Knight is a better movie than Batman versus Superman, in my opinion. I'm just saying Ben Affleck and this incarnation of the Batman that he has brought us is the best Batman we've ever seen. And a lot of people who even hate the movie say that which is kind of interesting. So the notion of him also writing a standalone Batman film is great. And I'm also glad that he wrote this script before hearing all the negative criticism about um, Batman v Superman, because I want him to write this Batman script without any influence. And so the script's already done, which is fantastic. Look, I'm just going to tell you, I myself personally am very excited for Number one, a stand, another standalone Batman movie. Number two, a standalone Batman movie with Ben Affleck's Batman. Number three, a standalone Batman movie directed by Ben Affleck. And now add a fourth thing to the list. Number four, a Batman movie that is actually written by um, Ben Affleck. I think that is great news. It's incredible. And look, let's keep this in mind. Let's not get too excited. We are still living in a world right now where no standalone Batman movie has actually been announced. We still live in a world where no standalone Batman movie has been announced. So, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, but Batman wrote a uh, Batman. Ben Affleck wrote a script. There's a script. So we, you got to figure we got to be getting something here soon, right? They've got to be announcing. Like, I have to believe that Warner Brothers, although they have made no announcements of the like, Batman is their golden egg. Batman is their most prized, most important, and most profitable intellectual property. He's it. So even though there's been no announcement of a standalone Batman movie, I have to believe that somewhere in the deep bowels of Warner Brothers offices that there are plans for a standalone Batman film. Whether they... You know, some people are reporting, although I'm sure it's April Fool's, they're reporting that, oh, Warner Brothers is delaying Justice League and fast-tracking a standalone Batman film to come out before Justice League. And I don't believe that. Although, let me let me speculate here for a second now that I think about it. It kind of wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they delayed Justice League a little bit and fast-track now a standalone Batman film. Because think about it, right now, by the way, this is going to go a little bit into spoilers, guys. Okay, I'm going to give you that warning right now. There's going to be, for me to make the point I'm about to make, I have to reveal something about Batman versus Superman. I'm sure most of you who are interested in Batman versus Superman have seen the movie already. But I'm just giving you that warning. You might want to fast forward a couple of minutes. But here we go. 
this would be the the ideal time to do a standalone Batman film because any standalone Batman film you do right now or moving forward in the future is going to suffer from the same thing that a lot of the Marvel films suffer from. Because, you know, you do a standalone Iron Man and everybody says, why didn't Thor come and help him? Why didn't the Hulk show up? Why? Like everybody wants everybody to show up in every single freaking movie. It's infuriating. Anyway, you do a bat standalone Batman movie. I think a lot of people are going, why didn't Superman come and help him? Because it's a Batman movie. So why didn't Superman come and help him? Anyway, you could do a standalone Batman now. If you fast track to standalone Batman now, you have a really good reason why it's a standalone Batman movie. They Number one, they haven't pulled the Justice League together yet. And number two, Superman isn't in the picture. And if you've seen Batman versus Superman, you know what I'm talking about. So you could fast track a Ben Affleck written and directed Batman movie right now, get it to come out in 2000, late 2017, delay Justice League a little bit. And now you have all the reasons in the world to say why this is a standalone Batman film. You have all the reasons in the world. You don't have to come up with something about, well, gosh, why didn't Aquaman show up to help Batman here? Or gosh, why didn't Cyborg or the Flash show up to help Batman here? Because the Justice League hasn't been pulled together yet. And Superman ain't around to help him. This would be an ideal time to do a standalone Batman film. Now, I don't believe that's what's happening. I'm certainly not saying that's what's happening because I don't think that's what's I think they're moving full steam. All appearances suggest that Warner Brothers and DC are moving full steam ahead with their Justice League plans. We are going to get a standalone Batman film. Of that, I have no doubt. But I don't think we're going to get you know Justice League delayed to fast track a Ben Affleck uh, Batman movie. Although, were they to do it, I got to tell you guys, I think I'd be one of those guys who'd be all totally on board with it. All right, let's move on to this next thing. Uh, this next thing, I... This is non-news to me, to be honest, but everybody thinks this is such a big deal. It's come out that Suicide Squad, the next you know DC Cinematic Universe film, that everybody seems to be really excited about, being directed by David Ayer, that Suicide Squad has gone in for reshoots, and there's been a a comment made what they also want to try to make it a little bit more fun, but they're doing reshoots and everybody is losing their minds over this. Oh my gosh, John, did you hear that? Um, they're reshooting suicide squad. Did you hear that they're reshooting suicide squad? That Warner Brothers is reacting to all the negative criticism that Batman versus Superman got. So they're panicking and they're they're going in and, and reshooting the movie and, and they're now they're gonna try to make it fun because they're because of all the criticism that Batman versus Superman wasn't fun. I all I can do is like smack my head when I hear people say that. Look, do you know that Marvel? Kevin Feige told us this. Marvel does reshoots on every movie they do. As a matter of fact, they plan for reshoots. When they're putting together their production schedule and they start looking at, you know, when we're going to shoot this and when we're going to shoot this, they plan reshoots. A lot of movies plan reshoots because 
it's one thing to know if you've got the money, if you've got the money to research, a lot of films can't, can't like a lot of smaller films don't have the money to do reshoots, but larger budget films, they almost always plan reshoots. They don't know what they're going to reshoot when they plan them, but you have to be smart enough to know that despite how it looks on the storyboard and despite how it looks in the script and despite how it looks in your head, it's not until you put start putting a movie together and can sit back and watch it on a screen that you can really truly tell when certain things are working and certain things aren't working. And hey, if we did this, we might be able to add a little bit of a different element and change the dynamic a bit. And if we did this, this, and this, that might make the, the movie overall better. Until you get to that point that you've got some... You've done a bunch of your shooting and you're starting to assemble the footage and you can start looking at rough cuts of the film. It doesn't matter how it looked on a storyboard. It doesn't matter how it read in a script and it doesn't matter how it looked in your head until you sit down in a dark room and put it up on a screen and actually see it, the living, breathing movie coming to life in front of you. Until you do that, you don't really know what it is you need to touch up or work on. There are, there are things you could be in a script that you think, ah, I'm not so sure that will work. And then you see it on the screen. It's like, ah, no, that worked. And there are things in a script and you shoot and think, oh man, that part's going to be awesome. And then you watch it on the screen. It's like, oh, that didn't come across as awesome as we thought. It's a normal, natural thing. And that's why almost all movies now that have the budgets, they will plan in advance for doing these reshoots. Like I said, Kevin Feige says for all Marvel films, they plan reshoots. They do reshoots, they do reshoots, they do reshoots. So this notion right now going around that, oh my gosh, in, in reaction to the negative critical response to Batman v Superman, Warner Brothers is panicking and is rushing out to do reshoots on Suicide Squad. The sky is falling. No, it's not. This is nothing. It's nothing. It's it's them sitting back and it's probably planned all along and saying, okay, now we're starting to get a sense of what's working, what maybe we can tighten up and make a little bit better. Now let's go back and do this. But John, they're, they're, they're specifically going back to make it more fun. No, no, they're not. No one has said that. There is a report that said one of the things they want to do is that a little more fun but i bet in almost all reshoots one of the things that any movie that is going back for reshoots want to do except for maybe world war z is make it a little more fun if they can make the jokes a little more funny make the action feel a little bit more intense make that story have a little bit more of a deeper impact and yes maybe make certain elements have a little bit more fun but people are acting like kevin sujihara the head of warner brothers has come out and said we have decided that we want Suicide Squad to be a fun movie. So we're going to go back and reshoot 60% of the film and make it more fun. That is not what happened. What has happened was that there was a report that there's going to be reshoots, which should surprise nobody because it was probably planned all along to go back and do reshoots because that's the standard operating procedure now for movies like this. And one of the things one source said to one person was, one of the things they're going to try to do is, is add a little bit more fun. You could tell from the trailers that a little bit of fun was kind of what they wanted anyway. And from the reports I'm reading that, hey, maybe the trailers 
made it made Suicide Squad look like more fun than what it actually was. But that if they made the trailers feel like fun, that tells me that that was one of their goals anyway. And if one of their the shortcomings in their film right now feels like, hey, we didn't quite hit the mark. We want to add a little bit more fun, a little bit more intensity to the action, a little bit more emotional impact in the story, whatever. Let, let's make that a part of the reshoots as well. But everybody is taking that right now, and acting like this is some big, huge thing that has never been done before in the history of Hollywood. No, this is standard operating procedure, all right? This is standard operating procedures for films like this. And the fact that everybody's running around, the sky's falling, the sky's falling, Warner Brothers is reacting to this and this and this. No, it's not. This was all planned. They were going to do this all along. The, the, the critical reaction. Now, I think Warner Brothers would be wise going into these reshoots, which were probably planned all along, but would be wise saying, hey, let, let, let's see what's, what some of the major criticisms are from Batman Superman. Let's see if we can address those little issues as well when we go in to do the reshoots. But that's it, guys. That's it. Th- that's all there is to it. It's not any bigger than that. So I wish people would start stop acting like the sky was falling. Uh, anyway, let's move on from that. Uh, something we talked about when I was on Jedi Council uh, this week, was um, Ewan McGregor talking about the potential, no announcements here, just potential, of an Obi-Wan Kenobi standalone film in the new Star Wars universe. I guess it's not a new Star Wars universe, it's the same Star Wars universe it's always been. But uh, in these new line of films, Ewan McGregor talking about playing Obi-Wan Kenobi again. And and he says that, yeah, him and him and folks from Lucasfilm have talked. And then, and then Hugh McGregor, I keep almost keep saying Obi-Wan, Hugh McGregor goes on to talk about how he would love for it to be trilogy. He thinks a story of Obi-Wan would be great as a trilogy and all that kind of stuff. Now he didn't say that when him and Lucasfilm talked about an Obi-Wan standalone film, he didn't say that part of that discussion was a trilogy, but the way he's talking about it, I kind of feel like it was. And I'll be honest with you. Look, despite all the problems I have with the prequels, there are some things about the prequels I like. Darth Maul was great. I love the pod race. I think the pod race in the in the Phantom Menace was great. I really do. But I also think one of the strong things in the Star Wars prequels, which collectively were garbage, but one of the strong things was Ewan McGregor's portrayal as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Maybe not so much in the first film, Phantom Menace, but after Phantom Menace got done, you could tell Hugh McGregor really grew into the role. And by the time you hit the second film, he really hit his stride as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I, I liked him quite a bit as Obi-Wan Kenobi, despite the fact that I didn't like the films. But, I mean, man, I gotta be honest, I don't know how I feel about this. Because on the one hand, I don't, I'm not even interested in an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. I mean, I'm interested in any Star Wars movie. Let's be honest. An Obi-Wan Kenobi movie comes out tomorrow. I'm lining up tonight with a tent. Okay, let's let's just call it what it is. So any Star Wars movie I'm interested in. But, you know, I've said this many times. I am far more interested in telling new stories in this Star Wars universe. The Star Wars universe is so big and vast and grand And yet, for some reason right now, Lucasfilm seems focused on making it smaller and focused and limited by, despite the fact that we live now in the Star Wars galaxy with thousands upon thousands of worlds, with trillions upon trillions of characters, 
to just make Star Wars smaller and keep going back and telling stories that we already know. A young Yoda movie. No one said they're doing a young Yoda movie. I mean, but people saying a young Yoda movie. Well, we know where that story goes. We know where that ends up. We don't know what happened before, but who cares? Let's tell a new story with new characters. Uh, I, I will be excited to line up for the Han Solo movie directed by Lord and Miller, but I, I would have, be, to be honest, I would have rather seen them tell another story. And the same goes for Obi-Wan Kenobi. I like Obi-Wan Kenobi very much. And I like Hugh McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. But there is that part of me that just is crying a bit inside. It's like, why don't you just, you've got such a vast universe. Tell other stories with your standalone films. Tell new stories. Now, that being said, something I, I said on Jedi Council was, but if you're hell-bent on doing stories with characters we already have, an Obi-Wan standalone movie is probably the one I would be most excited for. I would, I would probably be more excited for an Obi-Wan movie starring Ewan McGregor than I would be for a Han Solo standalone movie. Then I would be for a Boba Fett standalone movie. I, I still think a Boba Fett standalone movie is a bad idea. But anyway, um, so while I may feel one way about doing movies in the Star Wars universe covering topics we've already covered, I got to say, out of any potential standalone film, probably one about Obi-Wan Kenobi starring Ewan McGregor. That's important. Starring Ewan McGregor. If it's not Ewan McGregor, I probably lose some interest. But an, a standalone Obi-Wan film starring Hugh McGregor is probably the one spin-off film that is focusing on an already existing Star Wars character that I would be most excited about. And I do think there's potential there. I think there's some very, very cool potential there. Like, there's multiple layers of potential. Number one, there's tons of stories about Obi-Wan on Tatooine. As he exiled himself to Tatooine to, to keep an eye on this young baby, Luke Skywalker, as he grows to become a young man. Lots of stories you could tell there. There are also stories that who says he didn't leave the planet at one point. He gets a distress signal from somebody somewhere else off in the galaxy. And he's got to actually leave Tatooine for a short period and has some kind of uh, intergalactic adventure and everything. Who's to say they couldn't do that? They could absolutely do that. So while I'm would rather have original new stories with original new characters in your Star Wars spinoff films. I, at the same time, got to admit that my interest is peaked a bit with an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie starring Hugh McGregor. So lots of potential there. All right, guys, with that being said, we're going to take a break here and take a word from our sponsor. We would like to thank our sponsor for this episode, geekfeed.com, the world's greatest dedicated geek news feed, providing you with fresh, juicy, up-to-the-minute breaking news and shareable content on all things geek. It's the place to get your geek fix. They eat and sleep nothing but geek, scouring the interweb to serve up some seriously tasty geek nuggets. So get ready to cram every orifice with the very latest from the world of comics, games, TV, and movies. Chow down on the funniest vines and memes. Feast your eyes on the latest trailers, posters, and fan art. Stuff your geek hole full of... Okay, you get the idea. Remember to connect with geekfeed.com across all social media platforms at geekfeed.com. That's at geekfeed, D-O-T-C-O-M. And we at the John Campia Podcast would like to thank geekfeed.com for their support. And we are 
back. All right, so one of the things that a lot of people have been asking me, because, you know, I talk a lot about uh, on the show, I'll drop references once in a while, the fact that I don't have time to watch a lot of TV. I know there are people out there who watch, like, who've got like 30 shows, 30, 35 shows that they're watching. Like every week they watch 35 shows. How people have that kind of time, I'm not real sure. But then who, who am I kidding? Like I see how many movies I see. So whatever. I'm more of a movie guy than a TV guy, yes. But I have mentioned that there are a few shows that I watch. And I've had a lot of people ask me, what shows I watch. So let me tell you about the shows that I watch, okay? And a lot of you are not going to be impressed with this list, and that's fine, but these are the shows that I, I watch on a regular basis. I, I might be forgetting a couple of them. I just jotted these down quick off the top of my head, but how many do I got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 shows I got here that I, uh, I watch on a, either a regular or semi-regular basis. So the shows I watch are my favorite show on TV, number one, and these are in no particular order, but my number one favorite show right now is is still Supernatural. I've been watching this show now for like, I was a little bit late to the Supernatural party, actually. I only started watching it around season, halfway through season two, maybe the beginning of season three. I later went back and watched all the original season stuff, but I love Supernatural. It's had its great seasons. It's had its okay seasons. Yes, it's been up and down a little bit, but... I have just, you know, Sam and Dean Winchester, the two lead characters in the movie, have just been a part of my viewing life for so long now. I just like going along for the ride with them. And then I feel like every time I watch a show, I'm visiting with old friends. So uh, Supernatural is probably my favorite show on TV right now. Um, I'm watching Sleepy Hollow, not in my top five, but I th- I thought Sleepy Hollow sounded really dumb. And I got to admit, I got to give it its due. It's it's had its, Once again, it's high points, it's low points, but... It's an all right show, and uh, I've kind of gotten into watching it. I'm watching Legends of Tomorrow. Don't know how much longer I'm going to be watching Legends of Tomorrow because Legends of Tomorrow has just, for me, just stayed good enough to keep me interested to watch the next episode. But the show still hasn't hooked me. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 w- I haven't recommended Legends of Tomorrow to anybody yet. Let's put it that way. It's just good enough that I keep giving it another chance from episode to episode, but it hasn't hooked me yet, but that is what I'm watching. Um, Since it just came out, I will say Daredevil, even though I've already completed the season, but I watched it all in one day. Uh, Daredevil is a show I'm watching. Lucifer, I mentioned this on my podcast the other day. I just started watching Lucifer and I'm kind of hooked. I'm kind of hooked on Lucifer. And you know I'm going to be talking about this guy, uh, Ellis is his name, the actor who plays Lucifer. I'm going to do a segment on a podcast next week about my favorite characters on TV right now. And I'm probably running down like my top 10 favorite characters on TV right now. And I can probably tell you this guy, Ellis, is going to be one of those characters. I don't know which order he's going to be in or where on my top 10 list he's going to be, but the dude playing Lucifer, this character Lucifer is one of my favorite characters on TV show, uh, TV right now. And it's one of my favorite shows right now. It's really got me. Um, blind spot is a show I'm into. It's blind spot to me is kind of like legends of tomorrow, but a little bit better, a little bit better because blind spot is one of these shows that to me has been good enough. It's been good enough that I plan to keep watching it, but it hasn't completely hooked me. It was a great first episode, great pilot. And it's been good enough. It's been good enough as I've been going along. I'd say it's good. I enjoy the show. It's good. Um, but, you know, it's not in my uh, top top five favorite. 
All right, next is probably my favorite uh, comedy on TV right now, which is Modern Family. I love that show for a long time. Favorite comedy show, uh, Parks and Recreation. And then second favorite comedy show, Modern Family. I really like those two shows, but Parks and Rec is off the air now. I still get sad thinking about that, that Parks and Rec is off the air. But um, Modern Family, so sharp, well-written, very clever. I love the characters. Really, really enjoy that that comedy. Uh, Grimm is another show I really like. I've been watching Grimm since season one, episode one, and I have loved this show. I look forward to watching it every week, so that's one. This one may surprise you because it surprises me, but once again, I'm secure enough of my masculinity that I can tell you this. Um, probably the least CW of all the CW shows, and that is the show The Originals. Now, The Originals is actually a spinoff of a show I would never watch, which is The Vampire Diaries. I actually, I, hey, look, I gave Vampire Diaries a shot. I actually watched it, and like to be fair... I actually thought the first season of Vampire Diaries wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, but then it, it lost me. Anyway, but the originals is a spinoff show. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's a character on that show who is also going to be in that top 10 list of mine of my favorite characters on TV. Um, it is a CW show. I am probably not its target demographic, but to me, it is the least CW of the CW shows. And it's actually one I quite enjoy. So that's the originals. Another comedy that I really like is New Girl. That, that's a show I never thought I would like, but I watch it. It makes me laugh consistently. I think season two was it. I can't remember what season it's in now. If it's in season two, three or four, I can't remember if it's in season three or season four right now, but one season when Nick and Jess got together, the show went to hell when they got the two, the main girl and the main guy and they had them get together. That season was a loss. And I think the writers knew it was a loss and they immediately backtracked and broke them up. And now the show's really funny again. So go figure. But I really like New Girl. Uh, Gotham is a show that I did not think was very good season one. But I decided to give season two a chance anyway. And I think season two has been a marked improvement over season one. I think season two has been a big improvement. I'm not ready to call Gotham a great show yet, but it has certainly improved a lot and I'm into it. I'm into Gotham right now. And the last one I mentioned is uh, is Chicago PD, the one kind of cop procedural that I'm watching right now, Chicago PD, mostly because of the lead guy. The lead guy, who's this gruff older cop, is a great character. Um, I mainly watch that show for him. He's really cool. So yeah, those are, I'm probably missing a couple. Uh, but like I said, I don't watch a ton of TV, guys. I, I don't watch a ton of TV. So those are the shows I happen to be watching right now. Okay, guys, if we've reached that part of the show now for the Twitter questions, every episode of the John Campy podcast, I like to take a bunch of your Twitter questions. I got a few of them lined up. How do you get a Twitter question on the John Campy podcast? It's very simple. Send out a tweet with your question and just make sure in that tweet, you have the hashtag TJCP. Once again, send out your tweet and make sure in that tweet, you put in the hashtag TJCP. So the first Twitter question today comes from Colby Harper. And Colby Harper writes, John, love your podcast. Thank you so much, Colby. What directors would you have replaced Zack Snyder for Justice League's parts one and two if Warner Brothers gives him the boot? Well, the question is based off of something that I've said a couple of times. Look, I like Batman vs. Superman. I like it very much. I've seen it three times. Probably going to go see it a fourth time this weekend. I like the film. And as a matter of fact, tomorrow... On there's a very popular online uh, web show, uh, movie show called Movie Fights, done by Screen Junkies. A lot of you guys have been asking me to be on that show for a long time. 
tomorrow my episode on movie fights airs. And the topic of movie fights is Batman v Superman. And they asked me to come in and defend Batman versus Superman. A lot of fun. Had a great time. Make sure you go check it out. It's uh, it's me um, and uh, Mark. And forgive me, Mark, if you're listening to this podcast, I never pronounce his last name right, but he's a writer for DC Comics. And he was a really fun partner. I was me and Mark against Dan Merle, who, of course, faced me in the schmodown and beat me in the schmodown, by the way. Yeah, it had nothing to do with the fact that my category of questions was coming of age movies and his, and he happened to get sci-fi fantasy, whatever, Dan, whatever, but call it what it is. Dan beat me in the schmo down. Kudos to Dan. Um, and Dan's a great guy. Actually, I'm, I, I'm I really enjoy when I get a chance to hang around Dan, Dan and I get along really well. Uh, but anyway, so it's, uh, me against Dan Merle in uh, movie fights tomorrow. So make sure you check that out. But anyway, one of the questions in movie fights was who, if, if somebody were to replace Zack Snyder, who should replace him? And even though I like Batman versus Superman and I love man of steel, I do think it's time for Zack Snyder to step away from this and go and make other great Zack Snyder films. But I think it's time for him to walk away from justice league. He's not going to, but I think it's time anyway. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of a, of a sneak peek, a spoiler into tomorrow's movie fight show. But, um, two of the guys that I think could replace Zack Snyder and do a really good job. One is a name that won't surprise you. One is a name that maybe will surprise you. The name that won't surprise you. Uh, well, now let's start with the name that will, that won't surprise you or that will surprise you. Gareth Edwards, the guy who directed the raid, um, it's look, when you look at the raid, not only is it incredibly like some people say the raid movies are like the best action films of all time. And Gareth Evans is, I might've said, did I say Gareth Edwards? It started, that's a totally different dude. Sorry. Gareth Evans is, does such a masterful job because not only does, is it just great action? There's a story behind the action. And one of the things I always say is that, look, action without purpose is just visual noise. Action without purpose, without dramatic purpose, is just visual noise, no matter how good that action is. Like in the last Transformers movie is a great example of that. There's tons of action, but none of it had imperative emotional drama to it. There's no drama behind the action. There was no point behind the action. It was action for the sake of action. Hey, let's have Optimus Prime ride in on Grimlock now. Wait, wait, why? Where did Grimlock come from? Why is he there? Why do they suddenly get along? Why is Grimlock joining this? Who cares? Let's just have Optimus Prime riding Grimlock. And it's what could have been amazing action just turned into visual noise. And the action is so great in the raid movies You'd think there was the potential there for it to just become visual noise, but Gareth Evans does a way to give dramatic purpose to everything that happens, and it makes it great and wonderful. So I think he'd be a terrific guy to uh, direct a Batman v Superman. The other more obvious name, but is a good name, is Matthew Vaughn. Matthew Vaughn would make a great director for when you look at the stuff he's done, like obviously he can do great action. Um... He can do all that kind of stuff. He is he can put in really good wit and humor when he wants to, but he can also be brutal and vicious and stuff like stuff that that, that kind of tone that they've already got for Batman versus Superman. Um, Matthew Vaughn would make a great director, I think, for Justice League. So the two names I would put up personally are Matthew Vaughn and Gareth Evans. 
So thanks a lot for the question. I'll move on to the next one now. The next question comes from The Vega. And The Vega writes, Hey, John, have you ever considered doing a sports podcast or segment? I'd be interested to hear your take on sports news. Hey, look, on the John Campy podcast, when big sporting stuff happens, because this is just my podcast, man, I can talk about whatever the hell I want. So when, like when uh, the last UFC happened, I talk about the UFC. I'm going to talk about the UFC. When something's significant, right now we're in a kind of a, you know, we're getting into the NBA playoffs. Uh, we're crawling towards the NHL playoffs. Football is done right now. But you will hear me talk about sports. Uh, you will hear, hear me talk about sports, but have ever considered doing a sports podcast? Look, if I wasn't doing movie commentary, I would probably be doing sports radio because sports is my number two passion. Like one is movies, obviously. Second would probably be sports. I love sports. I'm a huge sports head. Always have been, always played, always followed sports. Um, and yeah, if I wasn't doing movie podcasting and stuff like that, I would probably be on a local ESPN radio station somewhere talking sports somewhere sometime, but I just don't have the time to do a dedicated sports podcast. I've been guest, I've been a guest on several sports podcasts and that's always fun. Uh, and I've done some guest spots on radio shows and, and things like that for sports, but I, I just don't have the time to do a dedicated sports podcast, unfortunately, but who knows what the future holds. All right. The final question today, um, for the John Cave podcast is from Adam Edson 96 and Adam Edson writes, John, do you think arrow could come back from the slump? It, it has been in since season three and season four. Um, here's the thing. I, it's really, Arrow is a sensitive topic for me, to be honest, because Arrow is one of the shows where I was probably, I think it's fair. I don't think this is hyperbole. I think this is fair to say. And I think any of you who followed me for any period of time will, will agree with me. I don't think there was anybody out there anywhere who was being a bigger evangelist, who was being a bigger supporter and a bigger promoter of Arrow than me. I think that's fair to say. I was Arrow's biggest champion. I promoted that show. I called on people to be Arrow evangelists, to spread the word about Arrow. I loved that show. And then came along Laurel Lance. Now, you all know I hate the Laurel Lance character in Arrow. And here's the thing, too. Some people misinterpret um, my distaste for Arrow as, sorry, my distaste for um, the Laurel Lance character as being hatred for the actress who plays Laurel Lance. Yeah, I really dislike the Laurel Lance character, the one they're now calling Black Canary. I really dislike the character. And I'll go into why in a second. But there are people out there who have constantly, despite the fact that I've tried to correct them, who constantly think me saying I hate that character means I hate the actress playing the character by the name of Katie Cassidy. And nothing could be further from the truth. I actually think um, I actually think Katie Cassidy is quite 
a gifted actress. I've seen her in a couple of other things, small things, but I've always found her to be very good. I place the blame for how awful and terrible this character is, not on the performer performing, because I think she's just doing the best she can. And I will look forward to whatever Katie Cassidy does next after she's done with Arrow. Um, So I am in no way, shape, or form against Katie Cassidy at all. At all. People, Some people are not smart enough to understand there's a difference between the character and the actor portraying them. I hate this character, but it's not the actress's fault. I don't think it's the actress's fault. I don't think it's Katie Cassidy's fault at all. I think she's doing the best she can. I blame the writers, who are good writers. The writers of Arrow are good writers. They've written some terrific characters for Terrific TV, but for whatever reason, they keep shitting the bed with this Laurel Lance character. And, and here's the thing. I stopped watching Arrow because of Laurel Lance. And some people would say, well, some people misunderstand. Say, John, why did you give up on a show you like just because of one character? It, what people didn't grasp was it wasn't about one character per se. It was a bigger issue than that. Because what they did was they, look, every show asks you to have a certain amount of suspended disbelief, Okay. I get that. You want to watch Batman versus Superman? You have to suspend your disbelief about this Amazonian warrior, about a man from Krypton, about all this stuff. You, you, they ask you to have a certain amount of suspended disbelief. And I'm cool with that. Even the show Arrow, from the beginning, asks you to have a little bit of suspended disbelief. I get that. What I don't like is when a movie sets up, a movie or a TV show sets up its definition of what suspended disbelief is. It says, these are the rules of our universe, okay? In our universe, there was a planet called Krypton and a a child was sent here from there who soaks in the radiation of a yellow sun that with his biology, the yellow sun gives him remarkable powers. Okay, but other than that, it is the regular world as normal. It is the normal regular world with the normal regular rules Take for, but with the exception, suspend disbelief, dude from another planet. Okay. Every movie TV show sets up what its unique sets of rules and parameters are. And what I don't like is when a show sets up its own set of rules and parameters and what it wants us to suspend disbelief on and what it wants us to think normally on, and then it breaks its own rules. That's what bothers me. All right. So what Arrow did was it said that, look, human beings can't do, can't do certain things. But this guy, Oliver Queen, who went missing five years ago and was stranded on this island for five years, which we found out he wasn't on the island for five years. But anyway, who's stranded on this island for five years and learned the fighting styles and learned and became dedicated to come back to fight and save his city. And because of this remarkable, extraordinary experience he had, he came back as one of the most lethal human beings in the world. And he could do certain things and fight crime in the night and do all that kind of stuff. Bit of suspended disbelief? Yes. But that's what the show set up. Those are the rules the show set up for us. And so I bought into those rules. Then they bring in this character, Canary. Not the Laurel Lance, but Sarah Lance. They bring in this character, Canary, who had a similar experience to Oliver. She went down on the same ship. She went. She disappeared the same time Oliver did. 
But then at some point she was found by the League of Assassins and trained as an assassin and blah, 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 for years and years and years. And so again, they're asking us to, to suspend disbelief, but it's within the same rules that we were asked to suspend disbelief for Oliver Queen himself. So yes, there's some suspended disbelief, but it fought, fell within the rules that the show had set up for us. So I was great with it. And I really liked the Sarah Lance Canary character very, very much. And I'm glad to see her back on Legends of Tomorrow, playing now White Canary. Anyway, but then came Laurel Lance. And the problem is really more with what the writers did with this character, Laura Lance, than with the character, Laura Lance herself. Like the character, Laura Lance is a very annoying character, but uh, just a very annoying character doesn't ruin an entire movie or ruin an entire show. But what they did was they took these rules that they set up, but what made Oliver special and able to do what he does? What made Sarah special and able to do what she does? They did, they took that and they crapped all over it. Because then they bring in Laura Lance as Black Canary. And they had her in a superhero costume fighting crime in the streets after taking a month or two worth of boxing lessons. All right. Now, I know there's a bunch of you out there who support the Laura Lance character and good for you. That's great. Television subjective. But I'm sorry. That's dumb as fuck. That is so dumb what they did. That, oh, oh, but John, you don't understand. They they still had her get beat up a few times and stuff. I, I, I don't care. She's a girl who works in a law office that took a few months of boxing lessons. And now eight months later, she's off fighting paramilitary guys in the streets and taking out 10 guys at once. And I'm sorry, I am willing to suspend disbelief for these types of shows but when you crap all over the own, your own parameters that you set up for what requires suspended disbelief and what doesn't, it shattered the image of the entire show for me. They broke their own universe. They broke their own rules that they set up for me as a viewer and what things they were asking me to suspend disbelief for and which things they did not. And when they fundamentally break that, it shattered my entire perception of the show. Suddenly this, what was really cool of when a man is missing for five years, facing the most remarkable experiences, he comes back different and changed and is now one of the most lethal human beings in the world, the Arrow. Okay, that, is, that does ask me to suspend disbelief, but you've set up the rules now. You've set up the parameters. You were consistent with those parameters with the Sarah Lance story as Arrow because you fit it within the same rules. But then, oh, now there's this girl. Well, she's pretty and she took some boxing lessons at night after work. Give her a leather outfit with a thousand buckles and we'll call her the Black Canary. And now she fights crime too and can take on these, these decade-long experienced paramilitary guys and she can fight them in the streets, no problem. It shattered the show for me. And I wasn't able to watch the show anymore. It just, it colored everything. Despite the fact that there was so much of the show that I loved up to that point, 
despite the fact that I think Stephen Amell is a great arrow and a great actor. I think he's got a great future. I think he's charismatic and he's got drive. He's got talent. He's a good Canadian kid. And I'm really excited to see what he does in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, I think he's going to be great in that. I think he's going to be great in everything that he does. And I love Stephen Amell. But when the writers broke their own rules of the universe that they so carefully set up, and then they shattered the rules that they set up for me as an audience member, it shattered my ability to enjoy the show. Now, there's a rumor going around that next week on Arrow, Laura Lance is going to die. And if they do that as a way to try to retro-correct the mistake they made by how they... Look, had they given me a reason to believe Laura Lance could be Black Canary, I, I, I could have dealt with it. I could have gotten... Even though I still think she's an annoying character, I would have been okay with it. Fine. But, oh no, she's just a girl who's determined and she took some boxing lessons at night after work. It It's stupid. It's so stupid. So I ditched on the show after that. A lot of people ask me if they get rid of Laura, will I come back and give the show another chance? I think the answer to that is probably yeah. I'll probably start watching the show again if they get rid of Laurel. Not because I don't like Katie Cassidy, because I do. Actually, one of the things I'd be happy about if they killed off Laurel Lance is that it would then free Casey Cassidy to go and play another character somewhere on another show that will give her a character worthy of her talent. Because right now, I think she's being handed garbage as a character. She's been handed a garbage character. And I don't like it. But anyway, that's enough of me whining, complaining about Arrow. Um, that'll do it for me, guys, for this installment of the John KB Podcast. Thanks a lot for joining me today. Listen, follow me on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter, at John Campion. Make sure you're following there. Subscribe to my YouTube channels. I'm going to start putting up some personal you know, movie reviews and things like that there and other things on my YouTube channel. So keep your eye over there for that as well. Hey, guys. Buy my book, The Pride. It is available now in Amazon in both paperback and the Kindle edition. Please jump on over there and uh, pick up my book, The Pride. Don't forget to catch me on Movie Fights tomorrow. And guys, listen, if uh, you like this podcast and you enjoy listening to it, I really appreciate that. But what would really help me out a lot too is if you would take a moment, open up iTunes, even if you don't use iTunes as your podcast app, open up iTunes and Find the John Campy podcast and rate the podcast and leave a comment on the podcast. Uh, that would help me out a great deal and I appreciate all your support. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this episode of the John Campy podcast. Again, thanks a lot for joining me and until next time, bye-bye.